Hey, hey, what's going on? Uh, I will say that this interview is going to be much better um, to watch on YouTube because there's quite a bit of uh, video and photos. Uh, obviously, entirely up to you. Uh, podcasting is different from YouTube, but you'll be missing out on a little bit. Not the entire thing, obviously, but uh, I just wanted to let you know about that because um, I didn't take out some of the videos that I put in just because, yeah, editing and whatnots. Uh, so yeah, enjoy the interview with, well, I want him to do the intro. You'll see. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have on the amazing Caitlin Roper from Collective Shout and Collective Shout is located in, is it Australia? Australia, that's right. Yep. And you guys at Collective Shout uh, focus on pornography and the sexual sexualization of women and girls in advertising, marketing, the media and popular culture. I don't even know how I discovered uh, Collective Shout, but y'all's website is so massive with the activism you do um, with past campaigns and current campaigns. Oh, I remember I heard about you from uh, the Sexploitation podcast, which is also amazing. Um, I was like, who is this All woman? Right. You're so, you have, your information is just incredible that you have in your head. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the women you work with are equally as awesome. Um, what do you specialize? Like, how did you even get into this? what you do yeah well I mean I started as a music teacher so I kind of took a bit of a turn in there um I was about 25 and I had uh three young kids at the time and I guess it was just through the course of my parenting like going out and about with my kids my young kids at that time and feeling like I was trying to sort of instill certain values in them about women and you know women are not just sex objects women are not for men women are whole people with their own humanity and everything else and just feeling like we'd go out to the shops and there'd be sort of porn themed advertising around the place there'd be uh so-called lad mags like these porny kind of magazines at the checkout at the supermarket they'd just be it was even that like a trend at the time for men to wear t-shirts with like graphics on them with like images of nude or semi-nude women sort of in really pornographic kind of posing. So I just felt like it didn't matter what I was doing. Well, I mean, it didn't matter, but but I felt like I was constantly being undermined just mm. through the wider culture that this message is always being reinforced that, the you know, the casual sexism and the objectification of women, that it's so natural and normal and unremarkable and it's just how it is. And I felt like, just like I was being undermined at every turn and just really frustrated and powerless. And that's when I came across Collective Shout, who was just sort of in its infancy at that point. Mm. And I started to follow them and get involved. And then I started running my own campaign and it just sort of naturally developed into something more. And at some point there was a position available and I jumped at it because I was just so excited to work with these incredible women. And that was about 10 years ago. So wow. yeah, the rest oh is history. Amazing. I can't even, I mean, maybe something like that exists in America, but I'm not sure. I'm kind of new on this feminism thing, but is that something you felt more passionate about after you had children or, or maybe you realized more once you had children that the stuff like that stuck out to you more? I mean, I think it was just timing, it just circumstances sort of happened that way because I wasn't a feminist growing up. It was only, uh, there were things that had happened to me and I, it was, it took a bit of time to sort of realize that the things that had happened to me, they, they, they were not unique to me, but they were like female experiences. And to realize that, oh, like lots of women have been sexually abused or have been subjected to sexual harassment or sexism or whatever it is. And just kind of going, oh, like this is not just a personal experience and realizing that 
you know, this is about women in general. And it's sort of like just things came to the point where I sort of clicked and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, there's a need for a feminist movement. Like, so it just was all kind of happening around the same time that I was just a bit of a late bloomer in that sense, I think. But I was just ready and I started to learn. And I was like, yes, like this just, I'm feeling it. So it was just, exactly. yeah, about the circumstances, right time, right? Yeah. Man, I have, you saw half my notes. I tried to send you some of them or uh, most of it. <laughs> it's like all over the place. I'm like, it's just so overwhelming. I was researching or just looking over y'all's website. Um, what is today? I don't even know. Friday or whatever day it was. And I legit just got incredibly sick to my stomach. Um, you know, I've been at this front line of the battle since December, but y'all's, the Collective Shout website was basically uh, a one-stop place where I was able to see kind of everything that I kind of grew up with, with movies, advertising, just living in the world. And it was so sickening. And it was specifically that video of, was it like um, Hispanic pride or something in New York City where those women were being, uh, you know. But nowhere in popular culture is the story more focused and told in such relentless fashion than in music video. Examining the stories that music videos tell us about both male and female sexuality, about what is considered normal, allows us to do more than just understand one aspect of our culture. It gives us a way to think about how the culture in general teaches us to be men and women. It gives us a way to understand ourselves. In fact, just as music video tells us a story of female passivity, it tells an equally powerful story of masculinity as being tied to power, intimidation, and force. As these ideas of male entitlement and power have become glamorized and normalized in the culture, we have to ask, what effect do they have on the real life behavior of men and women? During the 2000 Puerto Rican Day Pride Parade in New York City, the public space of Central Park turned into a literal war zone for scores of women who were doused, sexually assaulted, and stripped of their clothes by groups of men who felt they had an entitlement to enact their desires on any female body. This footage, used by the police to identify and prosecute the assailants, shocked and outraged the country when it was broadcast. But when virtually identical images have been played out over and over again on our television screens, with virtually no comment, why should we be shocked? In fact, what was most striking about these images was how familiar they were.
While there are chilling similarities between the popular culture images and the real-life attacks in Central Park, there is a major difference. The women in the real world were not enjoying it. They weren't smiling. This wasn't their dream world. It was someone else's, which had turned into their nightmare. Having alcohol poured on them, basically it looked like uh, the people that are then men were replicating uh, or like rap videos where it's like champagne and... I mean, it's not ever elegant, obviously, and not that that's elegant in the first place, but it was absolutely horrifying um, just to see women alone like that around like like monkeys. Like these men were absolute animals just mm. grabbing, pulling off their clothing, and none of the women were having fun. Of course, like in the music videos, they're like, woo, yeah, sex workers work, whatever, ridiculous. We love it. Like, so empowering. Yeah twerking yeah. and uh stripping oh it's so great look at how we get along yeah. how fun it is and we get money whatever i mean you can watch the video it's up um still on youtube obviously but the women's faces i mean uh, horrified they're, they're crying they've been traumatized yeah. um i don't know it was just that video i was like oh my god i got it was just horrible i obviously have these moments where i'm like how are we ever going to be able to stop stuff like this i know it's just a uh, <sighs> whatever it's just obviously something yeah. i deal with in the field of work that i do so i'm like how do you even find moments to find peace i guess that was my like ending question but whatever just go with it mm. well i mean i guess there's a few ways like one is i'm really fortunate in that i have an amazing group of women that i work with that we can be constantly debriefing so it, it means you don't feel alone like i guess in the past you see things and you just yeah. feel like this kind of sense of despair and hopelessness. But when you have other people who get it and and when you're wo working to fight against it, like like that's what's actually empowering, do you know what I mean? Like not feeling sure. like I'm gonna reclaim my oppression or my objectification and say, well, it's happening anyway, can't beat them, join them. But saying, no, we're actually going to resist that. Like that's real power, right? So feeling like we don't have to just accept the state of the world, you know, all the things that are happening to women, you know, male violence and pornography and just this, this abuse, which is so normalized and widespread, but feeling like, no, no, we can actually challenge this. And, and that's that's something that helps, just feeling like you don't just have to sort of sit with it and take it, but that you can actually resist. And, yeah. and we all can resist. Yep, and you guys make serious differences. I mean, you have a whole, um, I guess, uh, area on the website of successful campaigns. Um, mm -hmm. I forgot what you guys call it, but it's just amazing to see that. And I'm. I'm just so much despair of me living in my experience of like Patreon and all these, you know, apps or websites deplatforming women. And they don't, I never get a response back of like, cause they're like, we're here to help. And you know, you can appeal this, like email us. And I'm like, okay, so, and I've done it like five times and nothing, nothing, radio silence time and again. Um, obviously this is not news to people that are on the internet, even men being um, deplatformed, just free speaking. It just feels so, um, crappy like no, nothing can be done it feels like and it's just absolute women hatred going on now i mean there's like a million topics going on in my yeah. head right now but it's a horrible feeling and it's something that i really can't convey to like my family like i try but i'm like well you're just not gonna know until you, i mean if you're unless you're doing it or you know fighting this shit really yeah um god let's see i mean i all the place um um yeah, so I saw you do the uh, Honey Burdette, and what's hilarious, I used to follow that brand. It's a lingerie brand. Are they located mm -hmm. out of Australia? Yeah, they originally started in Queensland in okay. Australia, and now they're sort of branching out. Yeah, I was following them, but I had to unfollow because their photoshops were terrible, and it definitely, mm, not good vibes. Like, just, uh, I don't know, it's one of those things that 
didn't feel good about until I kind of uh, saw what it was when once I stepped into my feminism and mm. seeing your work they've been doing with that is like, okay, like all this, what's so interesting is that these like uh, BDSM submissive collars and strappy harnesses are so in and trendy and like sure that can be fun in bedroom play but i'm like wow that's such a like gateway uh clothing item lingerie item i feel like into i don't know just really women being abused it's not something that's like cool i mean i thought it was cool at the time and then i was like wait that was just that's a submissive collar that's not cool or fashion um mm -hmm. can you explain that thing if you want to the whole uh Honey Burdette fiasco. I'm sure it's been yeah, sure. Well, I mean, Honey Burdette is a sex shop. I mean, they're, they're actually a sex shop. Like they sell lingerie, they sell a range of sex toys as well. But um, they just have a really long history of sexually objectifying women and pornified representations of women and broadcasting this really pornified content to an audience that includes children, because this is a shop that's just in shopping centers around the country. And um, yeah, like, I mean, you've seen some of it, but it's, it's really, quite pornographic it's um it's incredibly sexist it's sometimes it's women who are semi-naked uh, alongside fully clothed men it, like the power disparity is is clear other times it's women just depicted as sort of sexualized props or even body parts like like just a backside or something like that so it's it's really objectifying and quite sleazy as well like sometimes they'll have a picture of a woman's a woman or a woman's body alongside a really sleazy sexist slogan like um take a ride or ask for your candy and like over women's genitals and, and things like that so it's very much it's very much sexually objectifying women for profit and this this is a brand that also has a long history of sexually exploiting their um, young female staff according to staff um, so there's been protests and petition and there's also these websites which are kind of like employee review websites where they review different mm -hmm. companies and there's mm -hmm. so much content about Honey Burdette and young women talking about their horrible experiences of sexual harassment and bullying and being encouraged to even date customers because maybe I they'll saw that buy video more. on y'all's yeah. YouTube. Stitch this and tell me a shop you will never ever shop at ever again because of your experience there. I used to be a Honey Burdette honey and because I saw firsthand and experienced the abuse that was given to staff by customers and managers alike, I encourage no one give a cent to that place. Just to give you an idea of how bad it is, this is the extent of sales are more important than our staff mentality that this store and everyone in it has. I was fresh 18, it was only my third shift there and some guy who was like 30 years old had walked past and seen me during one of my shifts and decided to leave his number for me when I wasn't there. All of my coworkers and my manager pressured me to go on a date with a 30 year old guy I'd never seen because they said to me, your sales are very low this month. If he likes you, he might become a customer. They used the fact that my sales were low to pressure me into going on a date with someone I never knew. So much for fucking feminism, honey badad. The girl was not on, uh, she wasn't working that day, and this guy dropped in to drop his number to the employees, and the employees were encouraging this girl that wasn't uh, working that day to go on the date with this guy. Something about... This could be and a, he was a teenager. She was 18. Yeah. 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 And he was, I don't know, God knows how old, probably in his 40s. His 30s, I think. Yeah. She was pressured, or, you know, obviously, I'm pretty sure she said no to go on a date with this older man because it could be a potential customer. Like, how mm. insane. 
Oh, Lord. Um, yeah, I believe she actually ended up going out with this man um, just under oh the pressure. Um, but yeah, so just so many stories from employees just talking about feeling pressured to sort of utilize their sexuality to make sales, to, to flirt with and tolerate uh, customers, male customers who make them feel uncomfortable. Um, talks about getting, you know, calls for phone sex from customers, like male customers, and just a really horrible kind of environment. But um, yes, this is a company that for a really long time has proven they just do not really care about any of that stuff. They claim to be, you know, empowering women, but they're doing the very opposite. I mean, you can't say you're empowering women and literally, you know, sexually harassing or facilitating the sexual harassment of your young female staff or exactly. teaching women and girls that their primary value is in their bodies and how their bodies look. I mean, this idea that sexual objectification is empowering for women. I mean, it's it's mm. rubbish because we know that sexual objectification literally disempowers women. Like it reduces women's power and it makes them, it reduces them to the status of object or thing for someone else's use. Now that's not a position of power, but even if you just think for most women who are sort of looking at those images, uh, you know, the women really hypersexualized, very young, thin, conventionally attractive women, like, I don't think many women look at that and think, oh, I feel so empowered. I think they think, I feel worse about myself. I'm going to so compare insecure. my body to that. Yeah, I think it actually, and that's what the research tells us as well, is that women feel worse about Ouch. themselves. Yeah, yeah. Their images they are so poorly photoshopped. I'm like, where'd the necklace go? Or just like, you know, there's natural um, mm -hmm. crevices or marks on a, a person's body, male or female, like especially around the hip area or um, um, genital area. Like there's just like creases or that exist and they always photoshop that out i'm very uh, attention to detail i'm an artist i'm a painter i look at mm. the human body just to study stuff and i'm like where did where did that go like you're i mean they edit out they blur like the entire everything and i'm like first of all it's not even human looking anymore and i'm just gonna automatically i'm gonna get insecure about stuff that's actually normal like a crease in your hip or something or mm. the lines in your neck like oh my god i have neck it just makes you insecure about stuff you never even thought about well not to i mean yes but no because i'm like that is so poorly photoshopped and that's ultimately why i um unfollowed because it was just terrible like bad photoshops and just horrible mm. i mean and really eroticizing violence against women and women's submission like I'm yeah. sure you've seen a lot of this stuff. It's, you know, handcuffs and bondage stuff. And, and this is not just on Instagram. It's even, you know, in the shopping center uh, shop front windows. So this is what mm -hmm. kids are seeing. They're seeing women bound and, and all, all of this. And even the most recent example, which you may have seen in the last couple of weeks, was a video being played on a loop in shopping centers of a woman with a choke around her neck pulling on it. So she's sexually choking herself. So this is just suggesting, well, it's, it's strongly suggesting, sending this message that, choking is sexy that choking is erotic and women enjoy being choked and sexual violence like it's sexy it's something that women like yeah and when we have all these yeah. women who are saying i'm literally like this i've survived this i've been in relationships yeah. with this or i've i've experienced domestic violence and abuse and this just it's such a slap in the face to these women like it's just suggesting that, well, you know, maybe the problem is you. You should have been more open-minded. You should have enjoyed it or something. But it's just, it's trivializing. We're talking and about choking, our strangulation here. Just people, so, women die from like, this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yep. I think this is such a huge issue uh, currently. I don't know when it started, but the choking thing, you know, the results or the, um, I don't know what it's called on Pornhub, like trending thing, the most popular searches, mm -hmm. uh, the like, I don't know what it was called. I'm not on TikTok, but some sort of choking challenge on TikTok where some Italian yeah, 15 year old blackout girl challenge. died. 
I don't even yeah. know. I'm just like, this is crazy. Um, girls, women don't like that. Um, no one should like that in a sex act. Uh, I'm here to kink shame, but that's your freaking kink. It was so interesting about one of, um, I don't know if, I don't think it was you wrote it, but one of your staff or Collective Shouts members wrote an uh, article just about advertising, how women are portrayed. And it was so powerful. And she had these depictions of women in an objectified, victim, scared, or childlike way. And right. again, it's just one of those things where I've seen, you know, advertisement stuff my entire life, and I just haven't ever seen someone write it out like that. And I'm like, holy shit, just, you know, there's examples on Collective Shelf's website where I'm like, it's just undeniable and so disgusting. Yeah, like you said earlier, uh, clothed men, uh, completely clothed like in suits around a nearly naked woman, like laying docile on the floor, uh, advertising, like sexy. It's just horrifying how normalized that was within me where I just look at that and I'm not like, oh my God, I'm just like, oh, cute. Like, I don't even know. like. It's just well, because it's so know, it's, it's so normal it's and so everywhere. Yeah. Like I walk around the shops with my girls, my daughters, and sometimes we'll see something that you know it's an image of a woman, just in a really sort of demeaning, kind of silly way, but you don't even question it. And I'll just yeah. sort of point and say, "Hey, can you imagine a man like that?" And they laugh because it's so ridiculous. But we just don't even think about it when it's women because we just we're so used to women being sexualized and objectified and demeaned, and just and that's it becomes unremarkable. And that's what we have to sort of start unpacking this thing that we've learned for our whole lives. Actually, no, this is entirely constructed. This is deliberately constructed by the advertisers. And we don't have to actually go along with this. They're professionals of what they do. You know, I don't know when advertising started technically, but I bring this up all the time. Father propaganda, Edward Bernays, what was it, 1920s or 30s? I'm like, they've had a hundred years to perfect that. And now they have the power of the internet to harness that and find out what we like, what we click into, what we hashtag, everything. So I'm just like, I can't even imagine how we're being um, groomed in a way that we, we're not even really fully aware of. If we weren't aware of that growing up, um, it's just ugh, scary in so many mm -hmm. ways, obviously. And the um, grooming as well that tells women and girls, you're supposed to find this empowering. Yeah. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. But that that's just yeah. the go-to line and it's just so, deeply like, entrenched no, in the culture now well, yeah well some women like, like how's that vanilla, yeah how's your vanilla <laughs> sex life like um I, what based I, in oh, mutual respect and equality <laughs> yeah how's that go figure i know yeah. um yeah y'all have been having i think it's the current campaign against etsy one of them yes campaigns? That's, that's right it's Almighty. an ongoing campaign now it started a, i'm gonna say about six months ago when we discovered child sex abuse dolls and child sex abuse doll body parts on their platform, as well as other merchandise that eroticize child sexual abuse and incest. And, you know, we've called them out. We've, they know about this. We've, we've shared this info with them. We've been in contact. We started a petition calling for them to remove these items and they're just not. We've even had, uh, we've had quite a bit of media attention where we've exposed where we have contacted sellers of child sex, sex abuse dolls um, as um, prospective buyers and said, oh, you know, could you customize these dolls to look like this picture? So we sent pictures of um, digitally created, like not actual children in existence, but right. yeah. And we sent those to them and said, could you uh, make a doll that looks like this? And like, yeah, we just take this wig and we do it like this. So they're willing to customize dolls to look like living children as far as they see. And they also claimed that one of the dolls, one of the child sex abuse dolls was modeled on a 14 year old Instagram model, 
So we're just like, okay, these are actually dolls. They're claiming are modeled on real children and they're prepared to make dolls modeled on real children. So this is like a new way that men can abuse children. Like you don't even have to be there and they can, they can still do this. So we, you know, Etsy is aware of all of this. This has been widely published and they just don't care. They really have don't they care. Have they responded at all? Like said anything? Not at all. No, they've just completely ignored everything, which is, I mean, it really, it's, they're trashing their own brand. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing to do because other companies where this has happened, we've alerted them and they've said, okay, yeah, you're right. That's terrible. There's, that's indefensible. And that's just not in line with our corporate values or, or any of that. And they've taken action to, to, you know, they've done something. Whereas Etsy, I mean, you know, from experience, right, that they're absolutely able to take stuff off, take stuff down and, and get rid of things yeah, if they want sure, to yeah. mm. when it comes to women, when it comes to feminists. But when it comes to child sex abuse dolls or items that eroticize child sexual abuse, for example, you know, like T-shirts with slogans like daddy's little, excuse my language, daddy's little cock whore, stuff like that's fine. But, you know, God forbid a feminist, like. Yeah. So you know, anything the or. definition of a woman. Oh, Lord. That's like the, somehow that's so scandalous. But child sex abuse know. dolls. Okay. Well, that yeah. just honestly says a lot, obviously, that I, I think that they're not ignorant even remotely about what is on their website they know and it makes the money like they're fully exactly. in it for the money and one of the reoccurring themes with these sex dolls robots whatever is the men that are you know handling this or creating all this crap are like well i know it's not great but uh, man the demand is there and i'm gonna have to keep doing it i'm like wow it's just mm -hmm. so absolute like greed and just your morals lie with just with money like that that's just i don't know mm. i guess so human and awful like ah, eh, fuck it it's this is really horrible but i want money like that's all i keep hearing from you know um, um watching that guy creating those sex dolls and i don't mm. know what country it was uh near uh barcelona or something you mm -hmm. report a lot on and i guess um i don't know what you call it activism fight for fight against uh sex dolls and robots like let me go to my uh, questions or points here. Um, I don't know. One would argue that sex dolls help curb the appetite for over sexual for overly sexual men, even married men. I've seen arguments for, um, or even pedophilic tendencies. Um, so, you know, it's saying that if they use those dolls that look like children's bodies, they, I mean, they basically are children's bodies, would help them not perform those acts or be pedophiles in real life. I'm like, well, I can't even phrase this correctly because I'm like, it, it is a child's so body, much there. dude. Yeah. yeah. What would yeah, you say well, to I mean, that? Well, there's a lot there. I guess the first thing I would say was that these products, these um, so-called sex dolls or sex robots or whatever we call them, mm -hmm. uh, they're very much... They're pitched as an answer, basically, to men's sexual entitlement. Like, and you're right; it's they're saying it could be for people. People, I always say people, but they mean men. It could be for yeah, men yeah, who are yeah. lonely, or you know, sexually deprived, or you know, disabled, or elderly, or the, all these things. They come out with to sort of legitimize yeah. it and make it okay. But and then they say, well, even married men, you know, if there's a um, desire discrepancy. So basically, if men want to have sex all the time and you know their wife doesn't want to have sex all the time divorce then men, their needs still have to be met right like that would be so bad if men couldn't have sex on demand right um so yeah it's very much supposed to be an answer to men's uh sexual 
you know, entitlement for sex on demand all the time. Yeah, yeah. And first of all, I'm like, why why is this a thing that we want? <laughs> like, why is this good that we just say, okay, yeah, sure, men men have this supposed need to have sex in the way that they want it, when they want it. Well, we must meet that need rather than saying, maybe we should actually unpack that a little bit or challenge that. Maybe, you know, men don't actually have any right mm. to have sex. I mean, it's not sex exactly. We can get into that later. But, yeah. but you know, that's the first for us. Like, why do we just think this is like a really important need that must be met? And then why do we think that a piece of silicone is going to meet any need? Like, really, it's, exactly. it's premised on this belief that a silicone doll with penetrable orifices is just like the same as a woman. And that tells us a lot about how these men think about women, what they think women are, what they think women are for. Yep. And this idea that a woman can be a stand-in, sorry, an object can be a stand-in for a woman, like it tells, they're being really clear. They think women and objects are interchangeable because they think women are objects. Like that's how mm -hmm. they see it. So that's, I mean, we have to have that understanding, I think, when we're talking about these products because the idea that a piece of silicone will like, cure loneliness or something rather than let's facilitate actual connection or communication yeah, or community yeah. or anything that yeah it's, it's ridiculous it's like saying you can own a piece of property and you'll feel less lonely or that will be as good as a person or something so that's just a crazy concept in itself but when we come to the child sex abuse dolls uh this idea that oh you know we maybe child sex abuse dolls you know uh pedophiles will use them instead of living children. I mean, there's just, there's no evidence for that. There is no evidence for it. It's, it's complete speculation at the expense of children and children's rights. Yep. So what it really does is it, it legitimizes and normalizes men's sexual use and abuse of children. And from what I've seen, you know, in the articles, uh, the news articles where men are found with child sex abuse dolls are found in their possession and they're charged or whatever, almost all the time, they're also found with uh, images, child sexual abuse images or exploitation images. So they're already offending against children in different ways. Sometimes they're doing other things. There was one case um, of a man who had um, been caught taking, he had made some sort of device with his camera where he could, he went to the beach and would film young girls in bikini, like little girls in bikinis and zoom in on their crotch and, and the things like that. So they're already like offending against children. So this yeah. idea that Oh, it's a, like, an either or, like instead of, like they'll use dolls and not children. It's like, no, this is just fueling it. It's just giving them more options. Yeah. And we're also seeing cases where men are incorporating living children into their use of child sex abuse dolls. So was, there was one case where a guy, um, he was found with a number of child sex abuse dolls and like wigs with pigtails and things like that. But um, some of them also had photos of laminated, like a laminated photo of a real child's face. So it's like I've now involved this actual child into this fantasy. Not really, you know, fantasy is a bit of a stretch, yeah, yeah. but but yeah. So it's like this is a new way for men to abuse children, and and like I said with Etsy, so dolls can be customized to look like children, like specific children. So you could be a guy just out and about with your smartphone and take a photo of a kid and be like, I want a doll to look like that. So you've now committed this crime against this child, even without having access to them or physical proximity so this idea that it's like this is going to help it's like it's how could it possibly do that it's such such a ludicrous idea that men need to be able to what well, men need to have all of their needs met and of course there's not these aren't needs it's anything that men want sexually is framed as a need and if they can't have it 
it's framed as deprivation. So there's all of this is just completely rooted in men's sexual entitlement to sex in any way they want to, even if it involves, you know, violent and sadistic sex or sexual desires for children. It's kind of like, well, but, you know, their rights, mm, it's really hard for men if they can't just have sex all the time in the way they want to. It's really tough with no that's thought to the yeah, rights of women and children. That that guy put the faces on the children, children's sex. I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but um, <laughs> like 2021, here I'm talking about anyway. Um, it's like they they still are trying to humanize it, you know, put the human back into it. Um, so this whole bullshit thing of like, oh, it's not really... Uh, a child i'm like well i mean it's just such bs obviously um something that was uh, i watched a video again with that sex doll maker in barcelona I remember, remember his name um he said something he was talking about uh you know a doll that he just recently made and is being sent to a brothel and he was noting on that the mouth area is going to get broken like even he knows that men abuse these things um so i'm just like i i, I don't believe you know, playing around with something that looks so human and lifelike, uh, you know, obviously it's not a human, that it, it would not carry over into real life if you have a sex life. Um, there's no way, because I'm just like, just the mimicry, like how similar it looks, you know, you, it's like trained activity. If you're doing like mm. uh, vicious slapping, beating these things, which I mean, come on, of course men would, like they have an opportunity to beat a doll and it's not, it's, a, it's not a human. I'm, of course they would. Um, like, I don't know, of course, it's, it's just one of those, you know, if you're training yourself doing that and it becomes a habit, then of course that would be uh, played out like that in real life. I, I mean, mm. humans are yeah, creatures of habits, we... so I'm just like, that's such crap. It's such a BS thing, like, oh, it's just a doll, and that helps them curb their appetite or whatever. Um, I yeah, don't it's a really it. bad argument, but uh, yeah, we really need to start talking about these so-called sex dolls or robots in terms, like, as as training objects in terms yeah, of sex yeah. and what men are doing to them and what they're doing to women. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a trend for that uh, in terms of violence, men enacting sort of violent fantasies on these dolls. And I'm seeing in the forums where these men are talking about it, they're talking about the ways that the dolls have been broken. Like one's like, oh, you know, I, my doll's mouth broke when I put a ball gag in, it was too big and just all the things they're doing. And then other men really, like the idea and they're like oh I, i'm disappointed that i can't actually leave bruises and i can't leave marks do you think mm, i could put oh blush on it or something like makeup to make it look like it had marks when i'm like whipping it and stuff so they really like some of them are really invested in that fantasy and they want to be able to enact the violence so yeah and this idea that that's somehow separate you know if a man particularly they're looking at these these objects as standards for real women they're like oh that's just separate from how they would treat real women and we, we need to be looking at well, sorry, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Uh, one of my colleagues, um, Kathleen Richardson, who's done some amazing work in this space, she founded the Campaign Against Sex Robots, and we've been working together quite closely um, at the Feminist Academy of Technology and Ethics, which we've founded with a group of women together. Um, and she's, we've been talking about a lot of these concepts, you know, the idea of, you know, sex dolls and sex robots. We're like, it's not sex. It's, so we've been trying to sort of figure out, you know, because sex involves mutuality it's a reciprocal thing and when there's an object we're like that's not sex like is it just masturbation like so we've been trying to sort of unpack that and figure it out and she's uh sort of renamed these objects in a really appropriate way she's called them porn dolls and porn bots because that's what they are they're a form of 3d pornography so just as we know that 
uh, pornography is influencing how men want to have sex, you know, what, what they're seeing and what they want to sort of do in, and incorporate into their own sex lives. Like, why would we think that these porn dolls or porn robots, porn bots, that they, what they're doing with them would just stay there? Like, that's not how the world works. That's not how things work. You don't just, oh, this is only in this scenario and that's completely separate from every other aspect of my life and my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, mm-hmm. yeah. It's directly connected. I mean, it's literally, it looks like a human. It's just BS. Um, yeah, I was thinking, um, when I was making notes today, back when I used to watch porn, um, I came across a video, because it's just curiosity, of a box. It was like, oh, my wife gave me this sex doll for my birthday, and he, it was this whole, you know, the whole porn was him un- unboxing it, and obviously having it his way with it, but it wasn't a sex doll, it was a, a woman's body. It was a, it was a real woman, and I, I mean, it, I had to, it took me, like, a couple of minutes to be like wait that's an actual human because it was that believable i'm like well there you go right there that those lines being blurred or just removed really where it's like this is an actual woman portraying a inanimate object um a, a, a porn doll like scary i don't know mm. i just i mean that's so a trend weird. in the porn like yeah you'll get women be- pretending to be sex dolls or sex robots and it becomes I mean, I guess this is a testament as to the nature of porn, but it becomes like I was looking through the adult video news website just to look at um, like the highest rated or most rented sort of pornography like over sort of every month. And I was looking for titles um, pertaining to sex dolls or sex robots, thinking, what can I find? Is there anything here? And sometimes I'd be like, oh, that looks like one. And excuse my language, mm. it's referring to like a fuck doll or a fucking machine. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, it's a woman. It's not a sex doll. It's not a sex robot. So it's we have women being referred to you know, treated as though they are sex dolls, like objects, which is that's what happens in porn. And then we have, you know, these sex dolls or porn dolls, whatever we call them, um, being anthropomorphized and treated as as women. So it's it's telling us a lot about what men think about women and what men do to women in porn, that it's it's becoming really blurry, yeah. that distinction. God, I feel like I want to launch into the questions. We had quite a few about the... Uh... I gotta like train myself to say that because that's great porn dolls instead of uh, sex mm. dolls. Um, let's go to a question. So I'm just gonna write it out how they wrote it because I didn't have time to change it. How it uh... anyway? I would love to hear her speak on the presence of child sex abuse dolls in settings where child sex abuse videos were made. How does the normalization of the so-called adult sex dolls affect children, both boys and girls as individuals, and their relationships to each other, and adults of the same and opposite sexes? Was that? Another question or statement. Okay, so there's a couple of things there. Um, in terms of the child sex abuse dolls, I mean, I, I can't really know in, in terms of the, the presence of child sex abuse dolls uh, with child sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though that there, there is a risk of child sex abuse dolls being used for grooming because we already know that adult sex dolls have been used to groom children for sexual abuse. So how much more um, effective is that going to be if you're an adult, a man preying on a child to have a child-sized doll and to use that to groom a child. So that's definitely- Wait, can you pause? I, I, I know a little bit, or I've seen something on that, but you just said um, adult-sized sex dolls are used to groom children? Uh, so there has been some evidence of that. Can you- So I can, I can send you a link to a report oh. um, 
if you want to include that later, but there was yep. a report by the Australian Institute of Criminology and they talked about, you know, how obviously pornography is used to groom children for sexual abuse and that sex dolls, like, you know, because I guess typically we wouldn't have had child-sized ones, but in the past adult-sized ones have been used for grooming children so that there is very much a risk when it comes to child-sized sex abuse dolls. Horrible. Yeah, there's that whole Elsa Gate thing, just horrible you know, YouTube videos that exist. And uh, it's just, this kind of topic is so uh, disgusting to me that I'm like, I feel, I like, I feel like I don't want to talk about it half the time because I don't want to put it out there on the internet for people to consume it and yeah. be like, oh. So I'm always like, oh, do I even want to bring this up? It's, I don't even it's know hard. It's, it's really there. distressing because you think, like sometimes people will like ask, and I'm like, oh, they don't actually know that this is a thing. And I'm like, oh, I get to be the one who tells them no, no, they, they do exist modelled yeah. on children. And because I feel really bad. I'm like, oh, I just made, you know, someone just feel hey, like, oh, a bit I'm darker. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I forgot to ask, what does the Etsy sellers market that as? Like in the listing, what does it say these dolls are for? Oh, they're marketed for sexual use. They're, they're not ambiguous about that. Um, oh, are you serious often will it say, says that? Yeah, yeah. But um, they're often, they wouldn't say typically child sex doll, child sex abuse mm. doll. They would just sort of say sex doll. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the keywords, but but yeah, like you look at the height and you look at the pictures, and they're deliberately like pitching them as flat chested, and in terms of other childlike sort of features, um, or even yeah, just the size. So uh, this is really horrible stuff. But for example, there's a replica child sex abuse doll mouth. So it's supposed to be like the mouth of a little girl um, pitched as a masturbation aid. So. Yeah, um, I didn't even know Etsy it like, was stuff. allowing that to market it as sex doll because does it doesn't Amazon ban that or something or claim they do? I'm not sure or about eBay, Amazon. Past, does. I can't remember. Yeah, well, I guess from what I've heard, we we did um, launch a campaign against Alibaba, which is sort of like the Chinese Amazon because they were selling these products, and we had a really positive response because they were sort of like, yeah, okay, we're going to take action and really get rid of this, but they. We have since been in communication with them, which has been really positive. They want to sort of develop some sort of potential code of ethics for different online platforms around this. So they want to work with us on that. But they're sort of saying, look, it is a problem. It seems to be a problem for all of the major online marketplaces that these items pop up and they're being sold and they have to sort of stay on top of it. So it's very much, it's happening everywhere. And sometimes, you know, maybe the sellers are a bit more clever about the keywords they use or what they call them. But I mean, if we can find them, if me and my colleagues at Collective Shout can find these dolls with like very simple searches, you'd think Etsy can find them too. I said, I don't care. I don't give a shit. And, and they have plenty all. of like, surely like me and my colleagues just, you know, doing our thing from the study at home or on our phone. Like we don't have yeah. the resources Etsy does. They, sh they could be employing many people like full time to just, you know, look out for illegal child sex abuse content on our website. But no, apparently yeah, that's... I think someone else's says job a lot, again yeah about um where they're about the values I think, yeah 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 i mean they are obviously i think they're in on this like i think youtube is uh in on it as well and as well as disney but that's my own idea behind that mm. um let's see another question dolls marketed as adult women often have proportions of children i mean my very instance by the way how do these sex dolls normalize the sexualization of children well i think that's right typically even when they're not sort of overtly child sex abuse dolls or marketed as such it's like yeah these really look like teenage girls though like they don't look like 
you know, full size women. Um, so, I mean, but I guess that's this trend as well with porn as well, you know, younger, there's, there's yep. some sort of appeal, you know, with the younger women um, who are more vulnerable and, you know, the way they look. Mm. So it's definitely a trend. Uh, I don't know if I have much more to add on that. I think we've kind of yeah. covered it a bit before, but yeah. yeah. Likely. Uh, Lordy, let's see. You might've already answered this one too. Sex dolls are being, anth this word, anthropomorphized. I'm just gonna skim over that one. I, whatever. <laughs> I can like say the word, but when I read it, I just, no. And spoken yeah, yeah. of, and even to, to in the mainstream propaganda, what does it mean that sex dolls are given more claim to the word woman than actual adult human females? Hmm. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, I mean, I will say, yeah, for sure. I mean, they are being very humanized and and from what I've seen, the men, the sex doll owners and users in the forums where they're talking about their sex dolls, they're very much attributing mm. like personalities and thoughts and desires to their dolls. And it, it always lines up with what men want, right? It's like they'll yeah. post sort of photos and scenarios of their dolls and like, oh, you know, um, Jenny was feeling a bit horny tonight and then maybe their doll kind of like like with maybe a shirt off and oh she wanted to do a strip tease for me and then now the bra's gone so just things like that where it's like they put that on the doll oh the doll wanted to do this the doll just wants to be this object of desire or something or even this is kind of weird well it's all kind of weird but um like multiple dolls and it's like oh like the dolls are going to have some sort of faux lesbian girl on girl thing because they want that and yeah so it's very much for the benefit the enjoyment of all the other men who are getting off to that but it's yeah. very it's trying to make it like a female kind of characteristic rather than this is something men are doing yeah, i mean yeah. it's the same thing that men do to women in pornography right like it's that uh what is there was a movie about that the lars and the real girl thing whatever you know which i think is yeah. also grooming and normalizing the shit when hollywood peddles out that stuff as a silly movie well, yeah, like a sweet little uplifting movie, which is so far from the reality. I mean, in the movie, like, he I doesn't... You, the, the audience uh, sympathizes with the, the man, I'm sure. I don't oh, of course, because movie, it's, but... it's... Yeah, it's pitched as this really sweet little indie movie with this poor lonely guy who's really nice, and we, we like him. He's Ryan Gosling. Oh, and he's a really big actor. Yeah, exactly. Ryan Gosling. Yeah, it's oh, Ryan Gosling. Love, you've been groomed to it. like him, so when you see him in a movie like that, you automatically yeah. are like, oh, Ryan Gosling, oh, like, grooming. Yeah, I'm and the story is like... Mm. The whole like town, cause it's like a small town, I guess. The whole town's kind of like on board with his delusion. Like, sex dolls like Bianca, and it's like, oh, how's Bianca? Oh, Bianca's a bit sick, and and everyone's just participating in this Beating big delusion, shared yeah. delusion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, the difference not, is, yeah. well, yeah, the difference in this movie is, it's purely like a companion. Like he never mm -hmm. uses the doll for any sort of sexual use. And I'm like, okay, that's one thing, but that's not what's happening in real life. But men don't buy a sex exactly. doll like and think. You know, like maybe they say, "Oh, yeah, I get companionship as well," but that's not the norm. Fooling themselves. Well, it's just a delusion. Yeah. Like, I mean, I really do believe that is grooming people. You know, this shit gets shown to us years back, and then I think it takes some time, or maybe it's sped mm. up with the power of the internet, where you see sex. Maybe it would make you sympathize with your husband, who's like, "Oh, can, I'm gonna, you know, buy a sex doll," and you're like, "Oh, you know what I mean?" Like, I just feel like Hollywood really does do this perfect thing uh or, you know they're experts at this of grooming us with the movies they put out in ways that we, we may not even be aware of um fully mm. well that's absolutely happening here i mean in so many ways whether it's you know sort of the the movies and the tv shows being made about this or the media in general and the news articles we're reading but 
it's very much grooming women to sort of feel like you you don't get to be uncomfortable with this. Like you don't get to set boundaries around this. You don't get to feel like you can't. Like you just have to sort of tolerate this and be accepting because some men are lonely, some men whatever. Like this is just a kink. It's just another thing. Like there's this um, new show with um, what's her name? Anna Kendrick. So she's like a big star, right? Anna Kendrick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and she it's like this series about her and her boyfriend's sex doll. So in the first episode, she finds they're like in bed and she finds like a bit of um, like a sequin or something in the bed. And she's like, are you cheating on me? And he's like, oh, no, it's from my sex doll. And she what immediately is, is like, on? is this this is recent? It's it's I think it's called Queeby or something. Yeah, it's, it's new. I haven't actually seen anything else on there. But yeah, so you, you can see that she's immediately like uncomfortable with this. But then she says, well, I don't want to kink shame you. So it's like that we're learning, oh, that's the response. Like, oh, okay, you know, let's say, no, I'm not okay with that. That's really messed it's up. That's telling me you think yeah. women are objects and how am I supposed to feel about that? It's just yeah. kind of saying, like, oh, this is the correct response to be like, oh, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm a cool girl. Like, I'm fine with it. Like, that's I don't have any objections or boundaries. Yep, the guest I had on last yeah. week, we dissected a, a lot of movies and she's analyzed like over 750 movies from a feminist perspective. And that right there is like, you know, the, the Lars one, like the whole town um, is like, oh, you poor guy. Um, and then that show that you're talking about, I, I haven't seen, or, you know, I don't think you've seen it either, but, you know, women fighting back. I mean, like, that's horrible. Or it just, or the town being like, you need help or something, you know, they just allow it. And um, it's painted as compassion. Like, it's yes. good to be kind and have compassion and empathy and yep, no yep, judgment. Yep. And no feminist analysis grooming. and yeah. yeah just women just defer to yeah. men and yeah you don't need to have boundaries it's just you know let, let, let the man do what he wants to do and i feel he's, like even with them anyway. yeah and the media and like i'm seeing a lot of news articles i mean i say news articles it's i don't know um but they're published on some of them on legitimate news outlets but just kind of like pieces about sex dolls and sex robots that are not news it's kind of like oh mm -hmm. like bodybuilder yeah. owns sex doll and does this and it's like why is this news? Like, why are we talking about some man's delusion or sexual preferences as if this is news? But it's yep. it's it's doing something. It's a form of cultural grooming. It's sort of making it more normal, even if we're kind of like, huh, oh, that's kind of weird, or that guy's pretty strange. Or like, it's just it's one little piece when there's so many, so many others just kind of making this more normal. We're seeing, you know, TV shows, movies, music videos, documentaries, all kinds of things where sex dolls and sex robots are being featured. So it's sort of trying to bring it out there into yeah. the mainstream. And this is good yes. for the manufacturers. Like when Last Real yeah. Girl came out, the manufacturer of the doll, Real Doll, like their website crashed. So this is good for them, like all this mainstream, mainstreaming of, yep. of these products. Totally intentional, yeah. It's, it's really, yeah, it does serve a function. Yep. Have you noticed a boom of uh, kind of what you just mentioned, weird articles where you're like, why is this being written or being put out? Have you noticed that uh, Incline with uh, COVID? Uh, I feel like I have like Teen mm -hmm. Vogue and all these websites. This goes more with the transgender thing being totally hijacked, you know, teaching young girls how to masturbate and how to use your period blood to cast spells. Just like insane. Um, oh, I wish I had examples, but just awful. Mm -hmm propaganda just terrible shit i don't know if you've seen like a spike of horribleness <laughs> since covid really i'm sure you have yeah i mean well with so. teen vogue i think they've always been horrible yeah yeah so. no just in oh, general just incredibly though. misogynistic so yeah yeah i mean i, I guess in, as it pertains to certain things like you know covid like 
porn like now's the time to watch more porn and get a premium porn hub subscription or, or all that obvious stuff. it's one of those questions it's yeah. like obviously that would ramp up you know people at home mm -hmm. and being on the internet more and bored these were some interesting yeah. questions um i have heard of this website it's called uh it's like oh, we want to mention it i guess so whatever <laughs> uh ao3 where it's uh i learned about this back in my cosplaying era where i used to be a part of this star wars uh, cosplay facebook group i don't even like star wars that much i would just i just like to see people create their costumes because star wars costumers are psycho about um having it be perfect mm -hmm. I, I love people be perfect about the uh, replication of the costumes but uh, a lot of people were sharing their fan fiction and whatnot, and there's a website called, okay, let's see, I'm just getting the question. It seems like a lot of the websites for creativity, DeviantArt, AO3, Tumblr, uh, maybe even Etsy, that are attractive to creative girls, and I'm just going to say, yes, 100% me, end up being molded into ways to groom them um, using these websites. Um, since new websites and apps can be constantly made, what sort of education would Collective Shout imagine giving to young girls to explain what grooming is and how to prevent it as a way that's age-appropriate? That's a really good question. God, yeah, that is a really internet. good question. Yeah, I mean, well, we're hearing from young girls about their experiences all the time, which are horrible, like, but they actually sort of feel like, I, I guess that this is just inevitable. Like, mm. like my colleague, Melinda Tankard-Reist and um, mm. Daniel, they go into schools and they, they speak with young men and young women about their experiences and about porn culture and navigating that porn culture and online and just a really sort of sexed up world. And just the stories are getting worse and worse that we're hearing from girls like in terms of their experiences of grooming and harassment and assault and just sort of feeling like this is normal and, and even feeling that they don't have any right to say no. So it's, it's a real big problem. And we keep talking about consent as if consent is some like silver bullet, like, oh, we just need to teach boys about consent and then everything will be fine. But when you live in a porn culture, like, you know, if we're not addressing the role of pornography that is so mainstream that that boys are, you know, participating in and consuming from the youngest of ages, if that's what they're watching and that's what they're, you know, masturbating to and, and, and over yep. years, like if we're not addressing that and we're not addressing the content of the porn and how it is so degrading to women, how it's sexualizing men's violence against women and painting women as though they want it and they like it and they enjoy it. Yep. Like, so if we're not tackling pornography, yeah. yeah, then consent education by itself is, is basically meaningless. So, yeah. but I keep hearing that we just need to teach about consent, but how many of these guys, like they don't, it's not, they don't know you shouldn't try and have sex with a woman who is unconscious. Like, it's not, they don't know that they just, porn has made it sexy, mm -hmm. like to yeah. violate women's consent. And it's, it's all about the taking and the conquest. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's very much, we need to be tackling pornography we need to be tackling these really harmful messages about men and women and sexuality and power like there's just so much to unpack and yeah I, I really think it, it's not going to happen without a frank discussion about pornography and in Australia we actually have had some success on this because after some years of campaigning from Collective Shout we've now had the Australian government agree to implement pornography age verification which means that well, it's, a, it's one way of sort of preventing children under 18 from being able to access pornography. Like it's not going to be the solution to everything, yeah. but I mean, it, it's one important step. So I think that's, that's a really good thing. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the answer. Great answers and good questions. Um, which actually, this is exactly what you, I think you just said. 
Would Collective Shout ever tackle the single button issue where in order to see porn, a website only has to put a single are you 18 plus button? I'm like, I don't even know how you could tackle that because it's so like every porn video. It's like, how do you, I don't even know. I mean, that's probably not the best question. Cause it's yeah, so... no, I mean, I mean, that is, yeah, it, it's totally a ridiculous concept that the only barrier to children accessing porn is like to click a button. Are you 18? Yep. Mm, no, uh, yes. <laughs> like and and that's that's supposed to be like no age verification. Them, like, what? Yeah. 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 And Especially I've seen with the uh, you know, appeal or lure of ooh, what's behind the door? Of course you're gonna lie. Give me a break. You're a kid. You're yeah, and kids are just they're naturally curious, and they just mm -hmm. you know. So obviously, I mean that shows as well the interests of the porn industry. They're not concerned with yeah. protecting kids or say, oh, this is just for adults or anything like that. They're concerned in getting their next lot of consumers. Like, there, it's a business. Mm -hmm. This is an industry. Like. They're not looking to be ethical here. They're not looking to protect children it's or the women who are involved. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's all about it's about money, and uh, so we can't expect them to to take any sort of responsibility there. It has to be has to be well, it has to be a multi pronged approach. We need the government to be stepping in, and that's where age verification comes in, and we need parents to be you know vigilant. But parents can't do it alone. Like if yeah. if there's really nothing, no barriers to your child accessing pornography. I mean, you might have all the filters at your house and on the devices and the rooms, cool. like the rules at home, like the computers in a public space or no devices in rooms or, or whatever it is. Yeah. But your kid could be exposed to porn at school, like on the school bus. That's what we're hearing. Yeah. Or at a friend's house or at school camp. So it's it's not enough for parents. Like we can do our best and we are doing our best. Yeah. But there's only so much you can do as a parent we, without wider support. So that's where we need the government to step in. So we are really hopeful that age verification will help, but we need it sooner rather than later because, yeah. you know, every day we wait, more kids are being exposed to porn and, and damaged by it and traumatised by it and acting out on other kids. So, like, this is, it doesn't have to be this way. We can actually sort of step up and do something about it. And we've just been so laid back all this time, like, oh, whatever, like, yep. you know, it just it happens. Yeah. And it's just how can we do this to our kids, like, it's just been such a complete failure to take any responsibility in in the interest and well-being of children. I think it's deliberate corruption. I think it's just is pure evil mm, taking mm. sweep over the planet. Um, well, the sex industry has a lot of power in Australia. Um, mm -hmm. It's really a well-oiled machine here. So, and I have so heard of occasions where, man. yeah, where um, I guess politicians, some of them, are beholden to the sex industry because they have mm -hmm. been customers of the sex industry. So to you know, there's risk for them to be going out publicly. Mm. I forgot what website it was. Some well-known organization that was like, "Oh, it's okay to use porn to, uh, like, for sex education for children." I'm like, "What? I don't even. I can't remember who that was. Um, there's just too much crap that I read." I, I do remember um, something about that actually. I can't, but yeah, I can't remember who uh, it was. ACLU, but like I UNICEF know. or some something crazy. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but just this idea, like, it's completely disconnected from the reality of pornography. I mean, imagine saying mm -hmm. it's okay to use the filmed abuse of other women as sex education. Like, that's what we're talking about. It's just so disconnected from the reality. This is what it is. This is yeah. built on male dominance and female subordination, vulnerable women being used and abused for men's sexual gratification. Yeah. And it's it's racism and it's misogyny. And it's you know linked to sex trafficking and fueling sex trafficking, and so much of the time it's it's also child abuse and it's mm -hmm. it's non-consensual. It's all these things. But the idea that we just totally decontextualize and just say, oh, pornography is an idea 
you know, could be good for sex education. Like, what is pornography educating? Well, like, what is it teaching? It's teaching, it's not teaching consent. It's not teaching safe sex oh, or mutual or respect-based sexual relations. It's teaching male dominance and female subordination and that women should enjoy and submit to violent and degrading and humiliating sexual practices. So really, like, how is this, how is this helpful to be like, encouraging well, that like as sex education? I don't even know, honestly, besides it being obviously pure evil and corruption of children mm. and youth and whatnot, um, because there are, I think you were, it's recruiting, like you recruit them to your evil side, like, come on down, like you corrupt a innocent mm. child. Anyway, um, let's see here. <laughs> Um, oh, that's a good question. Are the online petitions helpful? Do those actually work? I was I wondering that too. I think it depends. I think there's a time and a place for that. Yeah. Sometimes it's really good just to get big numbers. Like, for example, we have a change.org petition uh, calling on shopping centres around Australia to mm -hmm. take action and stop Honeybird at pornified advertising. Now, we've had 78,000 people sign this petition. The shopping centers have still just all of them just stayed quiet and happy to facilitate Honeybird. It's, you know, broadcasting porn by imagery to an all ages audience, you know, sexual harassment, all those things. But I, I do think there definitely can be a time and a place for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think really that's like 78,000 people who've made a complaint essentially. So that yeah. should be taken serious and that should be sort of seen as look, this is what the community is saying. They're not okay with this and you should act. But yeah, I think it depends on the context. But I have yeah. seen it work before and be very effective, especially if it happens fast. It's like, okay, here's this issue. We're going to jump on it now, getting lots of signatures. And then, you know, then you get media attention as well if it becomes sort yeah. of a big thing and that's more pressure. So it definitely can be, but it really depends, I think, on the context yeah. and what the campaign is. That's right. This feels like an obvious one. I was like, what do you think of the WhatsApp and Telegram apps? I'm like, those are obvious to me. Like, um, you know, child porn rings because it's so into in encryption. Because I was reading one of the uh, articles you guys had on your website about how Facebook, first of all, is this real Facebook or is it Instagram wanted to create a app for kids under 13 oh, or yeah. something? Instagram, Instagram wanted to make an Instagram for kids. And we're just like, why? Why would you do that? What are you thinking? We've been speaking with you, we've been in discussions with you for months, if not more. How could you think this is a good idea? We're seeing so many children being exploited already on Instagram why would we set up a new one specifically for children like do we think predators are not going to jump on that exactly so yeah that's a terrible idea but basically any any kind of platform where you have you know photo sharing and video sharing it's always going to be a haven for predators they're always going yeah. to jump on that so that whether that's instagram or facebook or yeah. TikTok or whatsapp like anything where you can share this kind of content yeah you know we know that this is going to happen so these platforms need to have real policies in place and be really actively onto this but yeah like you said end-to-end -end encrypt, uh, encryption like yeah that's that's a terrible idea that's terrible yeah. for for children and for children's rights and children who are being abused and and prevents anyone being able to to prevent that or to stop that it makes it much harder what does that mean end-to-end -end encryption is does it erase your like ip address or something? like what is it uh makes you truly anonymous or something i can't remember i don't know exactly how that works honestly yeah, I don't but I guess it, it. I know that it makes it more difficult for you know for law enforcement to be able to find and okay. and, act, yeah. and deal with that. Yeah, I'm good at asking the obvious questions, the obvious <laughs> answers. I think it's interesting that you. Why do we never see male sex robots or sex dolls? Like, 
Hmm, interesting. It just says a lot about. Well, yeah, they do exist. They just, mm. first of all, there's not very many of them because the demand for them is, you know, but um, the we know that when it comes to sex dolls or porn dolls, whatever we call them, um, that the majority of these are embodied female and that the buyers are overwhelmingly men. Something like 90% plus are, are men. But then even when we do have uh, the male-bodied porn dolls, they're still marketed for heterosexual men. Mm. Like that's the thing. You, you go to a website for like a sex doll brothel or, or something like that and they'll have like the category gay and that's they'll have the male sex dolls. So it's like they know who their audience is, like they know who their market is and no one's yeah. under any illusion that it's women en masse going out and buying porn dolls or, or having any kind of interest in that. This is for men. No. So there's kind of like, oh, look at us, like we're not objectifying women because equality, we have male sex dolls too. Yeah. But, I mean, there's just when no one's really buying that there's this female market, there's this big female market pushing this. This is just kind of like there's a, the market is men yeah. and if they can kind of, you know, anything I could do to legitimise it, oh, but, like, it's for disabled yep. people or it's for the elderly, it's for women too. Like, it's hilarious. Like, yeah, really? anything to kind of justify what they're already doing. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so there's yeah. not the demand like there is for female body porn dolls. Exactly. exactly. Um, what was that one quote from a video? Um, oh, there's an increasing number of people who find it difficult to form relationships and this will fill a void. It is not demeaning to women any more than vibrators are demeaning. How is well, that even related? Like, I mean, men's penises don't vibrate, number one. Like, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to be like, what's, what's the equivalency here exactly? Can you, I'm just well, like, I, dissect that one. Yeah, so when it comes to, you know, the kind of vibrators versus um, female body porn dolls, yeah. Like, first of all, I don't think anyone is arguing that, well, I mean, the men who use these, the porn dolls and the robotic porn dolls, like, they regard them as stand-ins for living women. Like, this is a relationship they believe they're having. Mm -hmm. Like, this is, like, instead of having a female partner, like, this is, they're attributing personality. We've, we've covered this, but they're attributing personality and everything to these dolls. But then when you throw in, oh, I'm sorry, there's just so much there that's, so what was the first part of the question? Take your time. <laughs> My oh, brain is kind um, of going Well, around. it's just, it's so stupid to me, you but know. it feels a void. Yeah, and like, yeah, it sounds so like it's a man, a man that made this comment. Like, well, what about vibrators? Isn't that demeaning? I'm like, vibrator, like a man, does your dick vibrate? I just don't understand what, what that <laughs> is. Like, mm, I don't, it's just, yeah, okay. There's an increasing number of people who feel, find it difficult to form relationships and this will fill, I'm just like, this is ridiculous. You're gonna fill a void, a human void with a non-human item. Number one, like that right there, it doesn't add up. So next, it is not demeaning to women. Like, okay, this is obviously a male. Like, I mean, it is not well, demeaning I mean, to yeah. women. The idea that it's Did not you demeaning ask women? women. Yeah, <laughs> to be, you know, to be having this argument that a piece of silicone is basically the same as you. Well, that's all women are for, right? They just, they need to have penetrable orifices. They don't need to be able to speak. They don't need to be able to, you know, they don't have any needs or autonomy or personality. They're just for men to put their penises in. Like that's not demeaning to women. But yet we know that these these products harm women, that they rely on you know, the objectification of women, the dehumanization of women, this idea that an object can stand in place of a living woman. And that that's all we're for is for men's sexual use. Like we already know that objectifying women is, is harmful. We know that this has a range of negative impacts on women. So the idea that 
well, first of all, that it's not demeaning to all. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. And of course this takes place, it, this is not just a single issue. This takes place in a wider culture of misogyny and women hating, right? Where women are being objectified, when women are already being prostituted and beaten and raped and all of these things. Like this is the world that we live in where women are still considered property in many parts mm-hmm. of the world and in many ways. Mm-hmm. So the idea that this is not, uh, this is separate from that, like it's, it's not. That's the world we yeah. live in. I guess the better question would be, um, it is not demeaning to women any more than dildos are demeaning. Are dildos demeaning? I don't know. I don't <laughs> I know. It's interesting to flip it like that because I'm like, I mean, no, because men don't live in a world where they're like everything we've discussed. You know what I mean? They're the ones that are running this uh, pornified shit show, like demeaning women. So I'm like, is it really demeaning to men? No. Give me a break. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's not even at all. It's not, eh, that's not a fair comparison even remotely. Men well, I think that assumes... The world of, like, a woman lives in, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. It assumes that we're on, both on, like, this equal basis, like, yeah. that men and women have, like, equal access to power and resources and everything, and not that we live in this this hierarchy, this patriarchal hierarchy with men on top and women on the bottom. So our experiences and our lives are very different. Like, yeah. and I think any discussion about like comparing what men do and what women do, it's got to be contextualized within mm-hmm. within that reality, that patriarchal reality. Yeah. Yep. Of course. Um, let's see y'all. Mm. We might've already covered that the whole, with the honey Burdette thing. Oh, you know, it's just a kink. People like to have fun in the bedroom. It's clearly a lingerie brand. Where's the harm? Um, well, the harm is, I'll add to that. The harm is in promoting violence against women as just a kink like violence against women men's violence against women is rife and when you eroticize it it makes you know you make Mm. it sexy and it's almost like it makes the violence invisible because now it's sexy right so there was um a couple of weeks ago there was a documentary um on domestic abuse and men's violence against women and it interviewed different women who were survivors of domestic violence male violence and one of the women, she was asked, has your husband ever physically abused you? And she said, well, he did choke me, but it was during sex, so I'm not sure if that counts. So what's happening is that when we say that choking is sexy and some women like choking, we, we're not even acknowledging as as a violent act anymore. So it means mm. women are feeling like, oh, well, that's just normal, isn't it? Like I can't object to that or I can't identify that as violence because it's a sex thing now. So we're literally silencing women. We're women survivors of domestic violence. We're making it harder for them to recognize what is happening to them as abuse, even when it's something as serious as choking or strangulation. Where women are, women die. You don't even yeah. necessarily have to die in the moment. You are at risk mm-hmm. weeks or months after the incident of having you know having a stroke or just becoming brain damaged or or death. So this is really serious. Mm-hmm. So when we eroticize violence against women, it means that we're taking away the language from women and and it's really it's really so callous when it comes to victims of violence like you're being confronted with those images and thinking oh that was supposed to be sexy and what well, i'm just not cool enough i'm just not open-minded enough that yeah. i didn't like that that i was traumatized by that like we have to ask when we see this stuff when we see images of women bound gagged you know with de- um depictions of violence against women when we see all that, like we have to ask, who benefits from this? 
Yeah, um, <laughs> even just being called like dirty names, like, uh, you know, obviously whore, slut, and I mean, that's not cute. That's not romantic. That's not um, it's nice. It's just blatant misogyny. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's women an like, like that, like, it's like, well, I think you need to go to therapy. If you, if women like that and men like that, I think you need to go to therapy. I think, you know, and this took me a while to realize this. It took me also to step into my feminism to realize it. The whole BDSM thing. I'm like, you know, there's the whole, um, what is it called? Oh God, where, you know, you do the whole BDSM thing and then you like love bonding, trauma bonding. Aftercare. Like, that's so, yeah. Yeah. And that's I've seen like tweets up. at that, like, oh, oh. I don't even remember what they say, but just the fact that like aftercare is so sweet. And, oh my God, I feel so loved. Um, You're literally describing you're... an abusive relationship. Yeah. Where after and the if, abuse, if... now they're really nice and loving. Yeah, just to like exactly. mess with your head and make you think, oh, maybe it's not as, yeah. That's like yeah. a predatory abuse technique. Mega. That I think that's been so normalized. I, th I think the internet has a huge part in this of mm -hmm. making it cool and trendy and Twitch and all sorts of garbage But at like the expense. This of women's lives mm -hmm. and, and I think totally. that's the thing we have to talk about like we know women do like this some women do like this but the question is okay so we need to unpack that so so why do women like this like what what what's behind that because it, we don't just come that way I don't think you know like this is socially constructed so yeah. we have to ask you know let, let's look at the ways that male aggression and dominance is made erotic in our society mm, and how mm. female subordination is eroticized and and sheila jeffries you know makes this great point she says women don't have dominance we don't have equality we don't have those things to eroticize all we have is subordination that's all we know so that's what we eroticize so it's not saying yeah it's understanding that yes some women do like some of these things but say okay let's let why let's exactly. get to the bottom of that rather than just say oh well i like it so God, like some girl I came across on Twitter uh, mm. has this whole fetish and her whole content on OnlyFans literally being punched and uh, mm. horribly, um, you know, blowjob thing. Or I just hate discussing it. It's so gross. She like someone, some dude messaged her and was like, yeah, I want more chunks when you throw up on a dick. Like, and she loves it. And she claims that she loves it. I'm like, dude, you need therapy so bad. It's I insane. think there's, there's a lot of women who have been in prostitution and like who have exited prostitution and will say mm. now that mm. when they were in it, they would have said, I choose this. This is empowering. Like this is my yeah. choice. And it's only when they're out of that situation and enough time has passed yeah. that they can kind of say, yeah, I needed to say that. I needed to tell myself that to survive. Like that's, yeah, I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't let myself feel the gravity. Yeah, exactly. The gravity of what was being done to me and how badly I was being harmed by that. So they have to sort of, you just say what you need to say, to get yeah. through it but especially i mean i find it very hard to believe that women actually enjoy that but i think um yeah. the other thing is we can't just look at it as it in an individual kind of frame we have to say mm. okay this is not just one woman who likes or does not like performing sex acts in, in that way or being abused or brutalized we have to say okay let's look at this as part of a wider patriarchal culture where this is male violence yeah. against women and and yeah, when you're asking it, for this content and making that content, yeah, like she's not in and men benefit from she's not in control, it. yeah, yeah, I that's mean, right. And how does the impact on women as a whole? Like, is this really empowering? And I just I hate the word empowering now, honestly. It's one of those that's words terrible. like it feels like so nails down a chalkboard because yep. it's like every time, you, yeah, you criticize um, the objectification of women, men's violence against women, um, men's paid sexual access to women's bodies. 
the response is always, but some women find it empowering. It's like, well, can we not do feminism anymore? <laughs> like, can we not have a feminist approach to anything? Can we not really say that men beating up women is bad or that men making women into things is bad? Like, because some women... Plus, it goes back to what you just top, said. Like how, yeah, plus they, they it, it's a thing where they're inside the, uh, you know prostitution thing and they say that and they convince themselves of that and they're living that but only when they leave it hopefully when they leave it they'll be like that was horrible and i never liked it you know what i mean so i'm like mm. well, that, that that already um breaks down that argument if some women like it it's like some women like talk to them in five years or a year or 10 years mm. or whatever if they're not dead like ask them if they still liked it if it's still empowering it's not empowering yeah. it's such a lie i hate it it's like oh become your own business woman and take it into your own hands I'm like, yeah, at the expense of men demanding things upon you and asking things of you that you would have never have done. Like, it's such yeah. a lie. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think it is a total just denial of, I don't know, though. I, I just blows my mind. And the thing that really drives me nuts is when you hear that line, oh, but it's empowering some women choose it from women at the top who will never have to choose it, who will never be in that position, but they look at it as okay for other women. Like, they would never do that. Like, they have options. They have other viable alternatives but that they would defend that treatment of other women as empowering. That just feels like such a betrayal to me. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, just women at the top, discarding, throwing other women under the bus when they you won't ever have that. to be in that position. Yeah. 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 Men aren't doing that. I mean, what? Mm -hmm. Notice it's all women. Plus the whole trans thing. We always hear about, oh, I hate saying it, trans identified males, but trans women. That's all we hear about. Like, it's men. It's a men's you know, MRA culture, like men's rights movement. Give me a break. It's all about men uh, hijacking everything about a woman because they don't want, I mean, it's just crazy. I'm like, you, what? You were brought into this world from a woman. What in the world? I just don't understand the woman hatred thing, like where it comes from. Like, I don't know. I'm going to go mm -hmm. off topic. I inevitably always winds up in that because my activism is in the, that whole thing. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not asking great questions. I'm like, oh. We've, yeah, we've covered a lot already. Um, God, what are you currently working on? If we haven't already covered that. What are we currently working on? I'm trying to think in terms of um, campaigns. Yes, so I mean, we've we're campaigning against Etsy. That's a big one. Instagram's ongoing. Um, we're also working on, in Australia, we have um, the advertising industry self-regulates, which is probably obvious when you look at Honey Burdett's ads, you think, how are they allowed to do that? because there's really no regulation. So we have a long-term campaign uh, against that just to reclaim the public space so that advertisers can't actually just objectify and sexualize and demean women with no consequences so that they're prevented from doing it. So we're working on that. We're also campaigning against, um, there's a youth retailer called City Beach, which has um, recently partnered with global porn brand Playboy. So, and you know, and selling their products to teens and, and, and even framing it again as like this good positive thing. Like, oh, Playboy's so concerned with like civil rights and all this stuff. It's like, but just not women's rights. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we're, yeah, just stuff like that. Just really um, looking at the mainstreaming of pornography um, and the sex trade, fighting the sex trade and calling for the Nordic model of prostitution legislation. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else we're doing. We're, all, we're always doing lots of things. Um, but yeah, just calling out this kind of misogyny and and challenging this treatment of women. Yeah, I think it was one last question about the black and white photography thing. 
I have a question on where we draw the line with art, specifically photography. I'm a huge black, so, you know, there's a um, person who submitted this. I'm a huge black and white photography fan, and a lot of what I consider artistic contains female nudity. Nothing graphic, no genitals, but nudity nonetheless, and obviously it's focused on the female body. Um, and I, get, I guess the question was, yeah, where do you draw the line with art, I guess, is what they're asking. Subject. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to say, I guess, but yeah, I guess, I mean, one thing I think about is, are we doing the same thing to men? And if not, why not? And I guess um, when it's making women mm. into things to be looked at, like this is, there's nothing countercultural about that. It's, you know, women are to be looked at. Women are supposed to be pretty or mm. beautiful or attractive. Yeah. So I don't, I guess without sort of seeing specific exa examples, but I think it's maybe a milder example of more of the same. It's really, it's hard to say without sort of looking, but. I mean, the idea of, you know, tasteful, erotic nudes of women, like the camera is still the male gaze. Mm, yeah. So is this really, is anything really different? Maybe it's just different in terms of the degree. Yeah, I know. It just sounds like a gateway thing or one of those, again, super slippery slopes where, uh, mm, I don't know. It could, you know, yeah, well, start I mean, a curiosity within someone and they, I don't know, you know what I mean? That's well, I'm just even thinking in terms of women, like it's supposed to, sometimes you hear about women reclaiming their bodies or reclaiming their sexuality. But I think once there's a camera involved, it, it feels like more of the same. I don't know that yeah. it's actually challenging anything. It's still like I need to have my body or my sexuality displayed for an audience rather than being about me and my partner. Hmm. So that's not to make a judgment. It's just trying to no, sort of, saying, yeah. yeah, I guess I understand thoughts on that, that. but I don't really yeah I don't really buy that idea that you sort of take back your sexuality or, or something by displaying it for other people and especially the other thing is these women they're always conventionally attractive right like they're young and they're thin and yeah. they're beautiful like I, I feel like maybe it'd be different if we were seeing you know old women fat women like yeah. I, would it be will we still be like oh this is all artistic and I mean not that I'm saying we want to objectify a wider range of women like I don't think that's helpful yeah. But I'm just saying, like, mm -hmm. are these typically young, beautiful, conventionally attractive women? And we say, oh, it's it's art. Yeah, so yeah, just, that's like, really what are your thoughts in my head? Oh, no, that's what I'm here to ask those questions and have a conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And that is interesting because also they're young and naive where they're, you know, a lot of young people live in the moment. Um, you don't really think about future things, especially with the Internet, like that's going to mm -hmm. be on the Internet forever. Um yeah, and also sharing, like the whole OnlyFans thing. Like if someone buys, I don't even know what the, what it looks like, $5 set or something of nude photos. Like, of course, men go and share that on other websites. Give me a break. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, it's it's a really terrible situation for most of the women who are on there. Like, apart from, like, a handful of women, like Bella Thorne or, like, a few, like, celebrity or high-profile women who are making lots of money, most are going to be spending a lot of time making content and earning very little money and for what you know they've yeah. now maybe their face is out there now they're dealing with harassment or men stalking them or sharing their images in other places where they do yeah. not want them shared like it's just it's, it's a really terrible weird. situation for women and i'm seeing only fans being pitched as like ethical porn because this idea that our women have like content creators Let's have more control oh yeah and they you're what paying the, for it like at, yeah it's just the, the idea of the government or AOC or these people that are pushing this sex work is work crap. 
I'm like, but it's all mm-hmm. like propaganda and bullshit. It's just like grooming women into making them think that it's empowering and they're taking their own business in their own hands and doing, you know, they're their own boss. And they don't have to answer to anyone. And I, I, women definitely have that perspective inside of them. Like, Ooh, I get to, you know, imagining a man is getting aroused from me and my body. Oh, that makes her, that woman feel, you know, powerful of that. They have that control over. I'm like, a man will get yeah. a boner over any chick on the internet, dude. You're not special. Yeah. That's the thing about this whole empowerment thing. Like, that's what I keep coming back to when people say, oh, this is empowering them. Like, how? Explain to me how. What do you think power is? What do you think it looks like? Like I had someone told me, someone tried to justify why they would post pictures of their backside in a G-string on the internet. Mm. And I sort of asked, just in a curious way, like, okay, so yeah. what what do you get from that? And she's like, well, I've worked hard to basically be conventionally attractive. She's like, basically, I've starved myself into being fuckable and so you know this is validation like I mean she didn't say validation but she's like it it makes me feel good I'm like how does it make you feel good like because I now need to show my body and that's how in this world that is my currency as a woman but it's very much when people say when women say they're talking about empowerment and they feel empowered basically they mean I am conforming to what is expected of me as a woman and I'm being rewarded for that men want to have sex with me, men desire me. And when I've learned my whole life that my worth is so tied up in that, that feels good, that feels validating. It feels like I'm something, men want me and and I'm good or something. But when we talk about what power actually is, it's like mm. none of that is power. Like being wanted at this moment is not power. Like you think that's gonna last? It's so, like, it's so, yeah, exactly. It's, it's so, so exterior, like body, yeah. like the body. I'm like, well, what are you doing character wise that you're making a real impact or like people value you for your character. I guess that is so overlooked now and not a mm-hmm. attractive thing anymore that how, how you present yourself in this world and how nice you are. And I don't know, like your, your actual character, what's inside the body that you have. Instead, yeah. Instead the actual body that you have and how you show it to the world is the main thing here that's being advertised as empowering and the ultimate power. It's such and a it's lie. not determined by you. Like, men determine whether they think they want to fuck you. So mm. it's men determining whether you're good enough and based on, like, it's it's so temporary. It's like, not if you gain weight, not if you get old, not if you, like, it, and it's very much based on what men want and how men see you. So if that's, if your power is completely within someone else's control, that's not power. And exactly. if it's just about you feeling good, like, what do you actually get from that? Like, like empowerment, like my idea of what empowerment looks like, like female empowerment, it's women actually having a change in circumstances. It, it's not just a feeling, it's not just something in your mind, but it's like real conditions and it, it pertains to conditions. So whether that's education or rights or whatever it is, but it, it's something real, not yeah. something that comes from someone else and is very fleeting. Like the times I felt the most empowered are times where I've felt like I'm resisting this culture. So for example, I'm an organizer with Reclaim the Night Perth, my local city. And every year we have like the rally and the march against male violence against women. And that's empowering, you know, like marching down the street, holding a sign and yelling out about male violence and not taking it. Like that's what is empowering, right? We're challenging something, we're resisting that. And we're not just kind of going along with it and trying to say, well, here's the situation, so let's just 
adapt as best we can because we have no power, like actually fighting something. And, you know, my colleagues like Melinda Tankard-Reese, when she goes into schools and speaks to girls and educates them and helps them to sort of unpack some of these toxic cultural messages and to learn how they can resist. And then when they go away and say, some guy asked me for nudes and I, I said no and I felt like I could say no. Like that's empowerment. Teaching girls you can actually resist. You don't have to just yep. go along with this. You have to do yeah, you don't have to be made uncomfortable. Them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's you actual empowerment mm-hmm. and there's conforming and reclaiming your own objectification, which is not power. No, no, it's the biggest lie. It's so unfortunate. Oh like I just wish there was like a pamphlet or something you could just say to just a, I feel like it's just a massive spell so many women are under with the yeah well I just I feel like I don't know maybe in a few years maybe 10 years Mm. maybe more there's going to be so many broken women because they Mm. bought into this idea which has been sold to them this lie that this is what you do to get power and this is good for you and don't question it further this is empowering and there's going to be all these women who've been exploited and abused by men and just will be left so damaged. And I just think that's so evil that we have like these corporations and vested interests like at the expense of women and like doing real damage to women. And we have to call it out. We have to sort of say that's not empowerment, that harms women. And even if it's not just about you, it harms all women when women are regarded as objects. Exactly, well said. Wow, man, I mean, I, I, could definitely ask you a million questions and talk forever. Is there <laughs> anything else you'd like to add? Uh, was there another question about porn as speech or uh, something on Twitter? Uh, what was it? Porn what? So I think there was a question, something about um, my take on pornography as like speech. So it's basically just about, yeah, this concept of pornography as speech and, you know, in America and how that works. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot of radical feminists who've responded to this concept, like, the idea of pornography as speech, it's like making it speech, making it less real than what it actually is. So it's its like this belief that men and pornographers have a right to express themselves through the use of women's bodies. Mm. So in porn, as you know, and as a lot of feminists know, like porn is actually documenting what is done to women. Like it's not fake. Mm. It's not fantasy. It's yeah. these are real acts. So um, like Catherine McKinnon, um, who's really done some amazing work on pornography and prostitution and women and everything. Um, So she makes the point that women in porn, they're not gang raped by an idea or like by speech. Mm. It's like, this is, these are real acts. These are real things that are done to women. So for example, if you see a scene um, featuring a woman being choked in pornography, like that's not speech, it's not an idea or a fan. Like that's a real woman who's actually Mm. being choked and a real man's hands around her neck. So yeah, this idea of pornography as speech, it just makes it that um, it's like speech. So therefore the issue is whether you're whether someone is offended by the mm. speech rather than the actual harm to women and girls. And like it's, it's speech, um, I guess whenever we hear the, the argument of it's free speech or it's speech, mm, okay. we have to sort of ask, okay, so whose speech is it? Mm. And at whose expense? What does it say? And, who, and who's being silenced and subordinated through this expression of speech. And we you know when it's pornography, overwhelmingly it's uh, it's the filmed abuse of women for men's sexual gratification. So this is so-called speech at the expense mm. of women's rights and dignity using women's bodies. So yeah, I basically completely reject this idea of pornography as speech. I think 
we need to look at it as real acts happening to real women. Um, yeah, so where can the people find you on the interwebs? You've already mentioned, but still. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Caitlin underscore Roper. I'm also on Instagram at it's Caitlin Roper. And people can definitely look up Collective Shout. We're on all the socials. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. So we've got a lot of content on there. And we also have our website, www.collectiveshout.org. But definitely, yeah, keep in touch, um, like follow what we're doing at Collective Shacks. We're doing lots of really important things. We, we'd love your support. We just, um, yeah, I mean, the more people who are speaking out about these things, the more change that we see. So yeah. it, that's what it is. It's collective. Like it's it's not just me and my colleagues. It's like getting yeah. people who care about these issues, like women and anyone who cares about these issues, just um, getting involved. And that really helps yeah. so much. Yeah, and you have a voice. You absolutely have a voice. You can your life that you have on this planet, while it is short, you can absolutely make an impact if you just start doing something and use your voice. Um, it's entirely possible, especially if you, you know, join a group like Collective Shout or just by yourself doing your own thing, like what I'm doing here with the podcast. Um, you you can, you have a voice, just find it and use it. It definitely exists. Um, thank you so much, Caitlin, for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Um, Y'all's work is so amazing and it's, it's been an honor just having you on. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been really nice to chat and yeah, just been fun. Thank you. Well, I hope you, uh, I don't even want to say, I hope you enjoyed that because honestly it's some heavy material and I don't even know if I could say the word enjoyable next to that uh, interview with Caitlin. Caitlin is amazing. Obviously I'm just such a huge fan of her and it was an honor to have her on. Like I said, um, I wanted to talk about something real quick though. Um, if you're a radical feminist or you're gender critical, which I don't even like that word, uh, Kelly, Jean, um, you know, Posey Parker mentioned this recently, recently, and I was like, man, that's such a good point. Uh, you know, the gender critical phrase, um, just not a fan of the word gender at all. Uh, and like gender is bullshit. It's made up. It's was founded by a fucking pedophile creep. You know, it's just crap. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't need to exist seriously. You know, oh, girls like pink, boys like blue, whatever. Anyway. Um, there are some younger, not even younger, I wouldn't even say that. There are some, quote, radical feminists that harp on other radical feminists and they're like, are you even a radical feminist? This is why I don't like labels and me personally calling myself I'm this or that because it puts you in a box, as we all know, and then it makes the people that are inside that box like militant about, oh, are you following all these rules? And Lord knows if you know me, I'm not really a rule follower. Um, obviously when it comes to morals, I am, but when it comes to like, <laughs> for example, on YouTube, um, I was going to play this Tucker, Tucker Carlson video and a YouTube pop-up came up and was like, are you sure you want to watch this? It's, it was flagged as like, um, I forgot what the wording was. Let me look at my phone because it was honestly hilarious. Flagged as it said. The following content has been identified by the YouTube community as inappropriate or offensive to some audiences. Guests play the video or cancel. I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course, if you play an ABC um, video or CNN video, there's no warning. It's so obvious. Like these people are, you know, big tech is one-sided, you know, nothing Republican allowed. And if it is, there's warnings galore. This exists on every big tech thing, uh, big tech, you know, Instagram and whatnots. But well, this is a tangent. I'm like, hold on, let me try to stay on track here. Um, the, yeah, the radical feminist thing, where was I going with that? Um, 
I don't remember, remember, but I joined this, this is so, I know it's overly dramatic, but, um, just because the internet is so annoyingly like drama, but I do want to, um, share this with you because this was my experience and you guys need to know about this, I guess. Obviously, it's why I'm here talking to you. So I joined this radical feminist, radical feminist Christian group on Z Facebook land, and I posted a sermon video of, oh, I'm so bad with the names. Let me pull up real quick. My ability to remember things um, is so poor. It's not great. My YouTube is being weird lately. Um, ah, Tony Perkins. Wow, I just remembered that without even looking at it. Tony Perkins. Apparently he's like a Republican and I don't even know. I don't even know the guy really. So I found his sermon. He was a guest speaker at the church I was at. I found his sermon to be very, you know, it was great. So I shared it to that Facebook group that I was new in. And I was like, you know, radical feminist Christian group. I mean, of course this group is going to be like, yo, interesting or whatever. Um, and I also shared that there was protesters outside that, that the church. Um, did I already share this? Gosh, I don't even remember. Did I? I'm not sure if I did. God, I feel like it'd be a mistake if I didn't share it. Anyway, um, uh, so some chick that apparently the admin was like, oh, do you even know Tony Perkins is like the most anti-homosexual person? I don't even remember how they worded it, but they were like, are you sure you're a radical feminist? And I was like, all right, are you kidding me? You're policing me over my religious beliefs. I don't even know who Tony is. I found his message great. Like, I just hate this shit where it's like, are you even, and I'm like, um, seriously, let's like dissect this then. Technically, Christianity is pro-life and I don't believe most real Christians believe in homosexuality. That doesn't mean me personally that I will be like, ooh, casting you out. I won't be your friend or I won't listen to you. I have plenty of gay lesbian friends. Like I love them dearly. It's not me. It's not my position to judge anyone else on this planet. Um, if even if if my belief is that I don't think it lines up with the real natural order of life and with, uh, you know, what Jesus teaches and what the Bible teaches. It just doesn't make sense to me, homosexuality. That doesn't mean that I'm a homophobe. I know that's already going to come out. I don't care anymore, you know. Um, that's why I'm just open about me. Like, I still love everyone, even, like, the messed up people. Not putting it with that, but I'm talking about the trans people. Because um, we're all messed up in our own ways. And not even necessarily messed up. I hate using that word. I shouldn't use that word, but... Like, it's just not my position to judge other people. I really mean that. So, you know, it's just like, what do you mean? Well, first of all, radical feminists and Christianity, that already is doesn't even make sense together. Because radical feminism is, um, I forgot what the phrase is, but obviously women have their own choice over their body. And listen, this is something that even me personally, I'm a woman, obviously. I'm still unsure about this. I'm like, I don't know. I don't have my solid thing on, like, I am pro life or pro-abortion I'm like I don't I don't say either because I'm still discovering it myself um you know I'm not going to sit here it's not my job as well to police other people about what they do with their bodies but at the same time I find that since abortion does exist and it is an option I believe that people rely on that as a like uh, as like a plan b or like a, a sort of a condom knowing that that exists and if you get pregnant you just terminate a human life I'm like, I don't think that's right. Like, you're killing a human. Obviously, there's those nuances and circumstances. I don't even know. You know what I mean? Again, it's just I'm not I'm not the ultimate judge maker on people's lives, really. But this is just my beliefs on it. I'm like, yeah, I'm saying it. Like, homosexuality doesn't make uh, sense for humans to uh, reproduce and uh, live this life. 
Um, and it doesn't mean I judge them out though. I have sympathy for everyone and I love my lesbian and gay friends, mostly lesbian, let's be honest, but, um, cause they're my sisters, you know, again, let me say it's not my place to freaking judge. I just, that's insane. Like as soon as you judge someone else, you may as well be judging yourself because as it's just ridiculous to do that because as if you, these, you know, as this, as if everyone who does judge others harshly can say that they live a sin-free life. Of course not. We're all human. We all sin. Um, anyway, I've been so nervous about like bringing that point out because I'm like, oh, I know people are going to like clip this or whatever or gossip. I don't really care anymore because I've said what I've said and I, I believe what I believe. And if you want to drop me, that's fine. But like, this is, I don't have hate for these people. I really don't. Anyway, um, so that whole radical feminist thing was ridiculous. And that's why I struggle calling myself like this or that, like radical feminist or gender critical. Radical feminist, I, feminism, I do agree with like 98% uh, of the points. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just so funny how some people take it so serious. Like if you don't check every box and you don't, if you don't agree with every bit of it, then you're not this or that. And I'm like, well, I don't care then. Like, this is why I don't care about labels. Um, it's just stupid. Like following some rule. It rem honestly reminds me of the Gothic Lolita community that I tried to become a part of years ago when I was into costuming. And cause I just, you know, back then I had a different idea about what I thought was cute. And now I look back at it and obviously Lolita's what my mom said it was, which was very, uh, toddlery childlike doll looking, um, costume wear, which I still to this day find very cute, but like, I cannot ignore that a lot of older men and men in general like fantasize about that and fetishize little girl shit like that. And you know, it's just people that are like, oh, well, I like it for the fashion. I'm like, yeah, well, are you going to sit there and ignore that people, I don't know, whatever. This is just another thing that I don't even know how to dissect that. Anyway, the uh, Gothic Lolita uh, community has have this like Lolita Bible. I kid you not, they call it that. Where if you're not following their rules of like how to wear the dresses and how many bows on the dress, it's just like insanely obsessive rules when it comes to the costumes. And to me, like, obviously I like to be, um, I like to do cost. I liked costuming for the sense of, I can replicate what I see, uh, out of the character. And the Lolita thing is not, you're not doing that. You're not replicating a, a, uh, you know, like say the Riddler or Batman. Um, I like, I was very OCD and obsessive about getting things accurate, screen accurate, but Lolita is like, you're just making your own uh, you know, character. So it's like, well, you're not really following a strict guideline. So whatever, as if you would care about Lolita world, but Hey, I get to share some of my, uh, I guess not even past life, but I feel like a lot of people that are listening to my podcast now are unaware of what I have done in my life before I found the podcasting and radical feminism and gender, whatever, all that stuff. And I'm, I'd be happy to share it with y'all. And I don't, you know, anyway, so yeah, I want to talk about that. And, uh, what else? Um, just, uh, and it's okay. Cause a lot of the younger radical feminists get very militant and I find that they really love if I share something about like not shaving my armpits or legs, they love that because I think back if I was a, a young girl, a teen and you know, I, I, I found radical feminism and I was like, Whoa, you don't have to shave and you don't have to conform and you don't have to be sexy. You can just be a woman. Um, and if I saw other women doing that and not shaving, I'd be like, yeah. And it, and I find out I get more likes when I share stuff like that, that go against the norms of what it is, you know, quote, to be a, a feminine. Uh, again, there's nothing wrong with that, but I find it to be a, you know, a lot of uh, women are like um, avidly 
animating, you know, are just very passionate about rejecting norms of womanhood, which is beautiful. Um, but it can get, it can kind of cloud what they think and see about others in the world. Um, it's kind of hard to describe where like if I were to post me wearing a dress and makeup being like, yay, what a beautiful day. It wouldn't get as many likes. And it's just an interesting social experiment. And if anything, um, I found that interesting. Um, I mean, I get it. Like I fully get it. Um, uh, I don't even know if that makes sense. <laughs> it's so hard for me to, to describe. Um, I should have named my podcast. Like it's hard for, it's hard to explain. Cause I always say that. And I kind of wish I didn't call my podcast life through a distorted lens because, uh, it is confusing. And I named it that before I got into this activism. Um, so it isn't, I know it's misleading, but I'm like, Oh, who actually rebrands their podcast name? I don't know who does that whatever, you know, I'm just kind of stuck with it. It's all good. Um, yeah, so I guess that was really all I wanted to mention because, man, I was going off about both those topics recently. It's just uh, interesting. I thought that Christian radical feminist group was such a... <laughs> this always inevitably happens with Facebook groups. Whoever runs it and the people inside of it, typically one or the other or both, become like extremely militant and just like horrible humans. I don't know. Facebook is just trash, honestly. Um, Someone was like, do you think it's worse than Twitter? And I was like, God, I don't know. Um, I, you know, I used to say Twitter's a cesspool and it obviously still is in a lot of ways, but if you can find people that you resonate with and, you know, I, I've been able to uh, connect to so many of my podcast guests from Twitter and there's a lot of uh, extremely powerful women on Twitter that I am so blessed that I have come in contact with and whether having them on the podcast or met them in real life. So you can find good people on these apps. It's just trying to break away from it, I guess. God bless all you people that don't have my job, which I'm inundated with uh, just horrible shit day in and day out. It's horrible. So if you got anything out of this podcast, please consider donating through my PayPal or becoming a, or, or join the rational revolution on my Subscribestar. Um, Subscribestar.com forward slash distorted lens. And then for the PayPal link, it's paypal.me forward slash LP foster kittens. I uh, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Any dollar helps, you know, a dollar, five dollars, ten, twenty. It doesn't matter, honestly. A hundred, five hundred, thousand, whatever. You know, it would, it would mean a lot to me. If you've enjoyed my podcast, if you found something informative, if anything, just share this information with people you know. Um, you know, all my videos are on YouTube and my podcast obviously exists. Hello, you're listening to me. Um, sharing is free, you know, it's effortless. And also you guess what else is free going to, uh, Apple podcast and rating my podcast. Uh, you know, five stars is great. We love that. I love that. <laughs> um, and also writing a written review because uh, seriously, this helps with visibility of people finding my podcast just by the algorithm of Apple podcasts. And I think other, uh, podcasting apps, you can as well rate it, whether it's Spotify or Google podcast or whatever these other form, um, streaming things are. It would really mean a lot to me. It honestly takes like two minutes out of your freaking day. It's free. So please go and do that. And to do that on Apple Podcasts, it's kind of confusing, but uh, go to my show and scroll all the way to the bottom. You have to have the Apple Podcast app. Um, yeah, so anyway, I believe that's all for now. I hope you guys are having a great time out there <laughs> in any way that you can. Um, yeah, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you. And I'd love to see you over on Subscribestar where I post more um, investigative and behind the scenes work and 
um, my research and whatnot is on there. So yeah, and on my subscribe star, uh, stars or rational revolutionaries uh, have the first choice of asking me questions. I'm going to start implementing a Q&A for me and um, and my guests. Actually, they get priority first. So, anyway, uh, yeah. So, uh, namaste.